Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld, and I'm joined tonight by Cousin Isaac. And Isaac, to lead us off tonight, I've got a little bit of Minnesota Timberwolves history for us. Ooh, let's go. I'm ready. Well, I hope I'm ready. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll find out if I'm ready. <laughs> well, after Carl Anthony Towns' historic performance in the three-point contest um, last Saturday night, winning it in record fashion, I thought we could talk a little bit about Timberwolves in the All-Star game. So a couple of questions for you. Um, how many times now have the Timberwolves won the three-point contest in team history, dating back to 1990? Uh, I feel like that's got to be low. I'm just going to say twice. Bingo. So Cat in 22, who was the other one? Uh, it was within the last 10 years. I don't even know. You're going to love this answer. Really? Yeah. That was also a hint. Oh, it's, it is Kevin Love? Yeah, Kevin Love won it. I didn't know he ever did it. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. I, I didn't either, but when I was watching um, the contest on Saturday night, they mentioned it. Uh, he was, Cat was one of only three big men of all time, and what I guess they called him the only center to ever win it, but Kevin Love was right. one of the other two big men. All right. <laughs> Question number two. I'll give you credit, though. You got the number right. How many yes. times have the Timberwolves won the dunk contest? Uh, one, two, three, four. Ooh, just off by one. Dang it. Okay. So is it, is it five? No, it's less. It's one less. It's three. Is it three? Yes. Oh, Gerald must have never won, huh? No, no, he did not. Okay. Okay. Um, so if I say three, can you name them? Uh, I might need help on the, on the, uh, the oldest one, but yeah, two of them are Zach Levine, right? Right. Zach and, Levine in 15 and 16. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other one is when the all-star game was in Minnesota. Uh, who is it though? It's a, was it Ryder? J.R. Ryder. J.R. Ryder. Do you remember the dunk, like the, 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 the dunk of the night in that contest? Not really, actually. No. You have to go back and look on, on YouTube, but J.R. Ryder, I don't know if he debuted it, but he certainly was the guy to do it most emphatically. The baseline between the legs kind of windmill dunk. Okay. Yeah. And and, and that was, uh, I remember watching that live on TNT back when I was what, probably about 13. Um, that was pretty fun because there wasn't much to cheer for. Even... So it, was a, it was a legit win. They didn't just hand it to the, the home team. No, it was a legit win. Um, uh, Ryder, like, you know, he was one of those, I think it was a dunk contest where the, the best dunk kind of stole the night. And sometimes it's the mm -hmm. repertoire of three or four dunks, but, um, it was fun. It was fun. And, you know, of course, Levine in 15 and 16, uh, Oof. leading me to my last question. How many Timberwolves have been all-stars? Oh gosh. This one would be a little tough. I ain't going to lie. I think I would have gotten most of them but i'm not sure i'm definitely not sure i wouldn't got all of them i i i i can think of five okay let's go let, tell me tell me the five you know so cat got it um jimmy butler yes kevin love yes uh kg yes and 
Sam Cassell, right? Okay. So there's Who'd two. I missed? There's two left, and they were they were both one time All Stars, both during the, the Kevin Garnett era. Tom Gugliotta, number six, and uh, the one, the only, the star of Miami, Ohio. I could have been a model in a different life. <laughs> My first name is the name of a Disney movie, although Strike it's not note. spelled. Wally Zerbiak in 2002. Oh, geez. Well, how can I forget him? Yeah, yeah. Wally, Wally, Wally got that, that lone all-star selection right. back in 2002 um, alongside a KG, of course. So right. not bad, not bad. You got the, the three-point contest, the number, and <laughs> you were one off in the uh, dunk contest. And I'll give you five and a half because um, <laughs> I gave you a hint for the, the Tom Gugliotta one. But not bad. Yeah. Not bad, Isaac. I'm, I'm impressed. So, you know, this this last weekend, I think, was kind of emblematic of where the Timberwolves are right now. So you got Towns kind of making a splash, literally and figuratively, on the national stage and some buzz around Cat, like in a way I haven't seen it in his career, outside of Minnesota, at least. That was pretty impressive, scoring 29 points in the uh, final round, and he definitely had a chance to get above 30. He missed his last three shots, including the money ball and the, on the baseline rack. Yeah. He's got a nice stroke for a big man. Um, I mean, he always jokes that, uh, he doesn't have much, much lift on his shot cause he's already tall. So he doesn't really jump on his jump shot. So there was like a joke going around towards the, the, uh, end of the first half of the season when all the players were tired and everyone's shots was like hitting the front of the rim. And cat's like, yeah, I wasn't having that problem because I, I just simply don't use my legs on my shot. So <laughs> He just got that nice stroke from basically standing still. Um, and we got to see it. I thought that was, that was impressive. It was good to see. It was really, it was really nice to see him actually in the three point contest. Cause I've kind of been waiting for that moment. It seems like he was meant for that, that, that challenge. Yeah. And he's one of the best three point shooters in the league. And it was nice to see one of the best players doing something that they do in games. Also be the ones that are performing in a contest at the all-star game. Unlike yeah. the dunk contest. Oh, jeez. Boring. <laughs> Who was even in it? <laughs> uh, well, our old, your old friend, Obi Toppin, he won oh, it. Yes. And oh, yes. Obi. I was listening to a podcast, and I, I watched it live. And I kind of felt this way watching it live, but he made the point that, like, if you just saw, like, his three best dunks on Instagram, you're like, okay, okay, all right. Like, that was a decent contest. But watching it live, it was just, like, it... Um, Jalen Green, right, the guard for the Rockets, the rookie guard, yeah, yep. missed like this this like incredibly difficult J.R. Ryder esque, but even a little bit more um, dunk, like trying to come in from the sideline like nine times, yeah. and Shaq was just over there on the sideline like shaking his head and like Cream got up and left. Well, I mean, he is kind of salty. <laughs> Yeah, no, that uh, I like. Why why can't we have star power in the in the dunk contest? What's up with stars not wanting to do the, that that specific contest? I remember the dunk contest growing up always being like super exciting and fun because like you had the some of the top athletes in it, and now it's like I mean this year you got Obi Toppin, you got Green, um, you got Toscano Anderson, and then who was the last one? I'm surprised you remember three of the four. I give you kudos for that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. I do a little research. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't like, come on. I mean, 
you can't expect every year guys to do things that you've never seen before. But can I just get some competent dunking from guys that I know? That's all I'm asking. Well, exactly. For. Like, yeah. But I, I will say this. I remember back in like you know we were because you're right. Like the the golden age of the dunk contest was, I'd say you know, there's a straight line from Julius Irving in '76 to you know Wilkins and Jordan. What was that? '85. Um, to Vince Carter in the early 2000s and a lot of like pretty good dunks in between. But then, you know, there was a pretty wide gap. And I remember seven, eight years ago, people just saying the dunk contest is done. And then we had Zach or, um, uh, um, Griffin, right. Dunking over the Kia back in 2011 or 12. And then you had the 2016 dunk contest with Gordon and Levine, which was the best I've seen at least in Spence Carter. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe it's one of those things, but it's just like, I do think they need to change up the format. And I don't know. I don't know when guys decided it wasn't cool to do anymore. Like, can you imagine John Morant and Anthony Edwards guys in yeah. their what second and uh, third year now? Like if they had been involved in it, that would have been magnetic. Or Zion, if he ever finds the court again, or is it too soon for that? I don't <laughs> First of all, I, I'm not sure about the long-term prognosis for him just being in the NBA. And secondly, yeah. I don't know like, if him dunking is ever wow. Like, he's got like the LeBron dunks in terms of power without the LeBron lift. So, like, I, I re- <sighs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I feel like just watching Zion just even throw on a windmill dunk is more entertaining than anything we've seen in the last. I don't know, three, four years at the dunk contest. I'll say this. Just give me Zion in a, in like a, in a February basketball game. <laughs> I'll take that. You saying I'm too greedy? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, you know, in addition to Towns winning the three-point contest, of course, Edwards and McDaniels were in the Rising Stars game. But I don't know if they kind of changed the format. There was like a little tournament for the Rising Stars. Yeah. And Edwards didn't play much. He has an ankle injury. And he showed up and he was game. Kind of like you know Chris Paul in the in the main All Star game playing with a broken thumb, but you know I'll I'll be out there. <laughs> Just don't set a pick on me, Rudy, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Um, but McDaniel's kind of put on a show. You know? Yeah, he did. He did kind of step up in a big way. It was cool to see him show out. It was kind of like his uh, well, his his like second second season as a as a leader. You know, he had his uh, summer league where he was kind of the go to guy, and then he was able to kind of I feel like be that for this uh, Rising Stars challenge. So. I don't think his, his team lost the first game, though, right? Yeah, but he he was consistently knocking down shots, which is a little unusual for him, and attacking the rim aggressively, which I think is something he could work into his game as soon as next year. The shot's probably a little bit more of a long-term project, but you know, if he's doing some of the Vanderbilt things on the perimeter in terms of just cutting and you know taking advantage of his, his frame and his length to get past guys... Um, and if he can knock down shots, you know. He's picking up his shots here in the last, like, couple of weeks, though, isn't he? I thought he was shooting something really good. I was going to pull it up in front of me, but I don't have it Ooh, quite open yet. You're ready to get into the Wolves, aren't you? Always, man. Okay, so before we do that, it, it, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the first half, and I'm sure McDaniels and, you know, coming on a little bit towards the second half of the first half. Did you watch any of the All-Star game? Yeah, I watched Pistons and Pieces. Yep, I didn't get to see the end, but um, I watched a good chunk of the middle. How? What, what were your thoughts on it? I don't 
it's it's entertaining, but it's an all star game. I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's it's fun to watch towards the end because guys normally dial in more, um, and it's a little more fun to see like the, the top best athletes out there, you know, duking it out with players they don't normally play with. So I'm 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 pro like what is it considered the third quarter? So how how do they they have it like or the third whatever you want to call it because they have like three different parts, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like that third that third one's entertaining. The first two, whatever. I mean, the the first two were almost like a better dunk contest than the dunk contest itself. How do you feel about the the Elam rule where they 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 shut the clock off? That's fine. And then they it's a targeted end depending like what do they do add 8 points? Yeah, um, I don't know the specifics. Well, I'm reading it on Google right now. It calls for the <laughs> game clock to be shut off at the first dead ball under four minutes in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm, again, I'm not sure if that's exactly how they do it in the All-Star game, but it is a – like you get to the score, which was 163 in the All-Star game. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I've i heard a number of debates this week about should we do that for all basketball games, and one of the really interesting <laughs> takes was, you know, 90% of all basketball games ever played on planet Earth are pickup games and every one of them is an Elam rule. Yeah. Whether it's 11 points or 21 or, you know, what have you. So um, that was an interesting take. I thought, uh, but how about like Steph Curry, 16, three pointers? Yeah. Unreal. He still got it. Greatest shooter of all time. And what an entertainer, man. Like, yeah, he's just, this is like his, his like turnaround shots where it's like, he just throws it up there and he knows it's going in. Like, and he just like, I don't know, communicates with the crowd while it's like going through the net. I don't know. It's just how often do you see that? <laughs> well, he had the two in the corner, but then the craziest one was the one he shot from the logo and Trey young was like running by him and he just turned around and walked to the other side. And like, it's like, it's like that, that silky, like pure sound that like, and then like he was just joking with Trey young, but he shot that from the logo and he turned yeah. around and like walked to the other side. Yeah, it was, there was I I thought I mean ba- all star basketball is all star basketball, but there it can be fun and if you know Embiid and, and and Giannis were trying and LeBron couldn't make a shot the whole night. But wait 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 Giannis wasn't trying. Is that is that in his vocabulary? No, they were trying. Oh okay, I thought for much of the wasn't... game, like like they were they were they they gave a shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, and KD wasn't out there, and LeBron missed nearly every shot he took all night until the one that mattered the most at the end. The and game get... winner. Yeah. So it was, you know, like and there's still a little bit of a little boy in me with the all-star game. <laughs> and it is fun to, to, to turn on the television and to see like, all right, these are the 10 or 12 guys that like really mean something this year. Like, you know, De- DeRozan being a starter. Like I, I didn't yeah. see that coming. Right. Yeah. And that Definitely guy's in the is. MVP conversation. You know, it's crazy. As he should be. Didn't he have a stretch of like, like seven straight games of 35 plus points before the all-star game. Yeah. Something like that. Dude's on, dude's on fire. It's crazy too. Cause he does it off in the mid range. I thought the mid range was dead. Yeah. Well, it's not, <laughs> but that's kind of been the beauty of the first half this year. I think of the NBA in general is just like, you know, we all thought with like the golden state warriors and the ball movement, three point revolution that, 
that was going to take over the game. And it has, because yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently that said that the 2007 seven seconds or less like would be last right now in three point field goals attempted per game. <laughs> it's insanity. Cause weren't people like freaking out when Phoenix was doing what they were doing. Yeah. Like that was just 15 years ago. And so I do think the three pointer has taken over the NBA game, but as we talked about in the last podcast, the trades we were, you know, with Cleveland kind of playing three big men a bunch of the time. And, um, Phoenix playing a very classic style of NBA basketball with like a true point guard and a center and a couple of guys that can score from the mid range and some three point shooting, you know, and depth. And it's just like, there's a bunch of styles around the league that um, I think make it interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's not just all three point, you know, Jack in some nights it is. And those nights I find to be the, the most boring when I turn on the TV and it's just two teams shooting three pointers and one team's a little bit hotter than the other. And that's the team that wins. Well, th- let's talk a little bit about the Timberwolves then. You know, 31 and 28 entering the second half. Um, and Second been... winning record at the break in the last 18 seasons. Well, talk to me a little bit about just big picture first half, and then we'll break it down into its component parts. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been impressive. Like, I feel like they've definitely overachieved where we thought they'd be. Um, I mean, 500 is probably about right, I guess. But I feel like we normally say... The Wolves are going to go 500, and then they they far like they hit that way below. So the fact that they're actually like doing what's expected of them, maybe a little bit better, makes for an exciting year. And I know we've like we probably said it in previous podcasts, but they're just they're just a fun fun watch night in and night out. Like you can kind of guarantee them to at least compete um, any given night, which is just cool. Like they don't they don't give up games too easily, so. I don't know. We'll see. I just hope they keep it going. But it's 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 cool and sad at the same time. Just that that stat I just you know just said second winning record in the last eighteen seasons at the break. So if you had to pick, if you had to pick like one narrative, I'll, I'll, so I think the one I heard in there was how fun they are to watch. What? would you say is the most important reason why the Timberwolves are outperforming expectations? And as we'll talk about later, the Vegas over under. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be the kind of Finch said this early on. It's the give a shit factor. Um, And that, that I would, I would say translates most directly to the defense. Like their defense has been completely changed from previous years. Um, And I know we saw a glimpse of it, you know, towards the end of last year with uh, Finch, but um, they actually give teams like some problems sometimes on defense this year. And there's still games where they kind of revert to their old ways and it gets pretty ugly. Um, but more often than not, they're they're definitely giving teams problems on defense, and it's just it's nice to see because it's like that's going to translate. You know, if we make it to the playoffs, which I believe we will that's going to translate to the playoffs is that defensive part. And that's going to keep us in games and give us a chance to, you know, at least be heard in the playoffs. I'm not saying we're going to, we're going to win like a round or anything, but at least to get some reps there and to, you know, kind of make it difficult for whatever that team is that we're going to play. Like that defensive part of the ball has been impressive. So I think we talked um, last about kind of offense, defensive stuff in our podcast in early January, the one before the, uh, the trade deadline, um, and at the time, 
the Timberwolves were eighth in the NBA in defensive efficiency and 22nd in offensive efficiency for a total of, if you combine those, 22 plus 8, 30, right? Today, or yesterday, as I was doing my research, um, we are now 17th on defense in efficiency, and we are in the top 10. We're 10th overall in offensive efficiency and 5th in points per game over for the whole season. So that, but wouldn't you say that's about right? I mean, the way we started the season, it was like a shock, right? But like hearing these ratings to me is more like, okay, like this is kind of what I expected. Like this makes sense. Or do you right. disagree? You, no, no, that's the, that's exactly the, the narrative that I'm trying to paint here is that oh, I think part of it is like the defense, especially, you know, it's, it's January, it's cold and you're three months into the season and you're you're three months away from the season being over. So like, this is the time of the year where you start to see kind of teams settle in to who they are because they they're, you're working against guys being injured, guys being tired, um, just the doldrums of the NBA season. And so I think we dropped a bit in defense in part because of that. Um, but yeah, I think it was a regression to the mean. And remember yeah. at the beginning of the year, after being like in the bottom three or four in defense for the last, however many seasons, all of the Timberwolves um, podcasters and um, commentators were just like, if this team could finish 20th in defense at the end of the year, they will be a winning basketball team because of what yeah. the offense promised. And the offense, I think the pace has picked up. Like, I think we're pushing it more. And, and that's part of the reason why the defensive efficiency, I think if our pace is picked up, that's going to translate to more possessions for the opposing team. Um, but I do think like, this is a little bit more about who we thought the Timberwolves were going to be. So let's talk a little bit about that offense then, Isaac, because we're we're currently 10th in the league in offensive efficiency. And as I said, we're number five in points per game. So what have you liked about the Timberwolves offense, what you've seen, particularly the last six weeks? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like it's really, you know, all in the big three, right? Like once we have D'Lo, Edwards, and Cat on the court, like it's pretty dynamic, the fact that, if two of them have a good game, we have a good shot at winning. Um, and it's nice just to have that ver those versatile options to be able to do that. And they're all at different levels. Like, they all have different games. So it's not like you can throw, like, a single defender at any one of them because, you know, Cat's a bigger guy. He's going to probably be in the post, but yet he's still got that three-point shot. And then Edwards is a guy who's going to – he's a tank, and he's going to run you over in the lane. And then he's got a streaky three-point shot too, which has actually been a little bit better than streaky this year. Um, and then you got D'Lo, who's just kind of crafty and works his way to find shots and knows how to draw fouls. And he's kind of been clutched on, or yeah, he's been really good in the clutch. So those three are kind of it for me, but I mean, it's nice to have a bench too that steps up. Like we've had games, we've had like different games where different guys will step up, whether it's, it's Beasley one game, you know, he'll like turn into a flamethrower or even honestly Prince like Prince has had a few games where he's turned into a flamethrower and he'll score like 20 points pretty much all of threes um and then you got McDaniels in the last couple of weeks who's I feel like is really coming on uh so if he can really get it going especially with his defensive prowess like that's gonna go a long ways um so it's just kind of cool like all the different pieces stepping up with our big three that you know really if two out of three of those have a good game like we have a shot at winning every single game. 
And it's really worked out that way. I mean, the games the games that we really get killed on, I feel like, are the ones where two of our big three are are not doing great. Either that or our bench does nothing. So it's like it's really dramatic when we have these losses. But when we're in games fighting to the end of the end of the game, um, it's because there's contributions from all over the court, all over the roster. So it's cool. So, yeah, you know, I think going back to the top of what you said, if I think about the narrative of the first half of the season for the Wolves on offense, I think about, you know, in particular, like two players. And I don't mean to discount D'Lo, but he hasn't been on the court as much. He's only played 40 games. Um, no, sorry, 45. He's been out 14 games. And he's had he's had a very, very nice first half. Some clutch shooting, and he's been, you know, he's just, even when he's not scoring a ton, he's figuring out a way to make a difference on the court especially with yeah. his playmaking and he hasn't been an absolute zero on defense and he's a, he, I think go ahead his net rating i think says it all like i think i just saw something today that delo has played in 100 games with the wolves and he's like a positive 10 and a half which is the best on the team and you know you've been on the delo train since day 1 since we traded wiggins in that on lightly protected first rounder <coughs> kaminga for him um <laughs> future all-star uh and <laughs> but D'Lo like he hasn't disappointed and he's been I think he's been better than most people would have expected and I also think like he's invested like the way that he yeah. called out the Minnesota fans being quiet and those quiet ass crowds yeah. um in the first half like a guy that isn't invested in in this team and in the product on the floor and in the fan response to that he's not you know out there saying those things and the weird thing is, it's like they kind of responded to him. Yeah. You know, like this team was kind of like, All right, you know, like I haven't been to any games since then, but what I've read on online is that there's been a little bit of an uptick in, in fans actually cheering at, at games. Yeah. Like who would have thought that was possible in Minnesota? Well, you could you could feel it in the Memphis uh, game tonight. I was watching it and they didn't, they honestly didn't score for like the first probably minute. And you could still see it in like the, the edge of the screen that the fans were still standing and cheering. And so they're, they're answering his call, which is kind of cool. Well, winning does that. And I think a winning culture does that in a fun team, most importantly, yeah. like from a terms of a fan experience. Um, so I'm going to jump into, you know, the, the other two ant and towns and maybe I'll give you my aunt take and you can give me your towns take. So I, I just, I got to say like, I did not expect uh, coming into the year. I'm just like, this guy needs to get to the rim. He needs to draw more fouls. He shoots too many threes. I didn't expect him to become this soon in his career, the three point shooter that he's become. Um, and the way that, and he, yes, he can be streaky, but when he's streaky, it's like seven of eight, you know? Yeah. Um, and he's got a, I've said before in the podcast, I haven't been a bit, the biggest fan of his, like a, the purity of his shot, but the more and more I look at it, like he's just an athlete, and yeah. the, and the more shots he gets up in the gym, like it, it just it looks natural. Um, he still takes, as you say, he gets a little finger happy with his three pointers and doesn't always find the right moments to take them. But in terms of the percentage versus the volume, I've been quite impressed. And he's won yeah. a number of games by taking over quarters doing that. The only thing now would be if if he can figure out and if. Uh... He can really figure out maybe from D'Lo. D'Lo just needs to get in this guy's head and start teaching him how to draw fouls. 
Because this guy, I mean, he's he gets hacked a lot going to the lane, but I don't know if he just needs to like move differently or move into the de- defender differently. But he doesn't get a ton of calls. I mean, he's averaging four free throws a game, and the amount of times he drives to the hoop, like to me, that number should be a lot higher. But yeah, you know, and I remember back in two thousand seven, eight. You know, in in of course, LeBron James had a lot more hype, and that hype brought more, I think, calls his way early in his career. But one of the things, and the same could be said for Derrick Rose, you know, the MVP 2011 season, when guys are just so powerful or so athletic or so fast that when they take hits, their movement doesn't, it isn't impacted the way that it is for a normal guy because he just keeps moving. He just keeps jumping. He just keeps flying through the air. And you can see on the replay that he was clearly hacked, but an NBA official adjusting to like, the magnificence of his athleticism, I think, in addition to the fact that he's just a young guy and he's not getting the calls yet. Like, that's a part of it, too. But yeah. he just, if, if he gets hit, he keeps going because he is a tank. Yeah. But he's a tank <laughs> that can also run fast and jump high. Yeah. And so it's hard to slow him down. And I remember that was part of the criticism early on like with LeBron. He's like, why am I not getting these calls? And, like, the game slows down. For, you know, and as he got older, like, some of that athleticism did dip off even by his fourth or fifth year. And it will for Ant too. But right now he's just in that, like, you know, it's, it's like a spring popping out of a box and (laughs) it's gotta be hard to to officiate him. But I do think part of it is that he's on the Timberwolves and that he's young (laughs) and that he's kind of brash. I think in an, in a very like gregarious, he draws you in kind of way. But I do wonder if that brashness, it isn't like the complaining, bitchy every call but he's just out there kind of on top of the world and i wonder if that rubs some of the officials the wrong way like what have you done in this league what have you earned to be black jesus (laughs) well i feel like he's got that superstar swagger it's about time we got that in minnesota right i and i don't like that all nba personality like he is first team all nba personality already And and i just think that maybe maybe and that might get under some opposing player skin too but like if like the team didn't even make the playoffs last year and you know, right now we're doing better than expected, but we're a seven seed in the West. So it's like, maybe do something and that matters before. And that's just maybe what I'm saying as like the perspective of, of other teams and maybe the part of the officiating, but I will say in a number of games in January and early to mid February, he has been um, decidedly more intentional about getting to the hoop. And he is he is getting some calls like his, his um I don't know what the exact numbers are but I saw a stat on one of the games is his free throws per game have ticked up and he's going to the rim more and I I want to see if he can continue to shoot the three point the way he has that's just going to open up those lanes and if you've got two other scores like D'Lo and Downs like I mean um the only thing that maybe is holding him back is field goal attempts you think so long term. Oh, gotcha. I mean, he's at like 21 a game. Like, I think he could be, if there weren't two other quote stars on this team, he'd probably be averaging 25, 26, but I'm okay. I'm okay with a guy taking the number of shots he should within a system um, that allows him that with two more veteran players around him also getting their turns and us winning. And, and, and here's the cool thing. And is too. Have you heard him once complain about, Get me the ball more. I need more shots. Like he just 
if anything, it's been the other way around. It's like we got to we got to distribute the ball more. That's on us. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that bodes well in terms of his long term development and his our ability to keep three guys that that you know need touches to stay happy happy. Yeah. So Towns. Towns has found another gear. Like, what's been the biggest thing that stood out to you the first half of the 21-22 season for you? I mean, his attitude, honestly. It's the way he goes about the game. Like, he's, he seems much more locked in. He seems much more ready to kind of, you know, be a leader on the court for this team. But if you want to go straight stats-wise, I mean, his three-point shooting this year has been pretty pretty darn good. He's He's at almost 41%. As, which I mean, as is like with five shots a game at forty one percent, that's pretty good. Um, interestingly enough, though, he's down on his rebounds, but I think we know why that is. Vando, Vando, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, cats. Honestly, like if 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 you weren't watching games, you'd think he's just you know the same old cat, just pouring in stats because really his stats don't look much. Much different from previous years, but he just seems much more locked in, even on defense. It seems like he does, he still does a lot of stupid stuff on defense, more so on offense with his offensive fouls. But I just feel like he's more locked in on defense. Like there's more of a purpose of where he's at and what he's doing. And maybe that's just because we got rid of that drop, that drop coverage defense that I hated for so long. So that's nice that Finch is trying something different there. But. I just need I just need Kat to get in the top ten for MVP voting so I can win her bet. That's all. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to see Towns get a couple of MVP votes, and I think he has a chance because yeah, you know, he put on that show at the All Star game, and that's the sort of thing that like it's gonna grab people's attention that follow the game, even though it's a three point contest, but it will. And of course, he made the All Star team, and if this team finishes, if you know, say we're did we win tonight? By the way, did we close it out? We did win. Yep. So we're 32 and 28. Um, we're four games above 500. So that projects to be yeah. about uh, so two, 44, 45 wins. You know, if we finish in that range and we're a seven or six seed in towns, I mean, <clears throat> I, I think we're going to have to do a little bit better than that for him to get MVP consideration. Um Think so. Yeah, I think we're going to need to be in the in closer to the high forties and 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 really, you know, in that sixth spot and out of the play-in tournament. Then I think Towns could get some consideration. But man, the, the guy's in shape. I just kept seeing him at yeah. All Star Weekend, and you know how like for years we just like Towns had he, he's not a weak ball player, but he's never been chiseled. He's still not what I would call chiseled, but you can certainly see strength on him. Yeah. So he put in the work in this offseason and he got himself in shape and he stayed healthy and he's he's not getting pushed around as much on defense. That's part of it and his energy yeah. is there. You yeah. know, his ability to be like the go-to guy in offense. I mean, relative go-to guy because he's got two guys he can share the load with, but then um to play on both ends of the court, you really need to be in shape and to stay healthy for the entire season, same thing. So I give him this has been a really nice tick up in terms of the Cat that we've known up until now has been like the cat we've known for the last four or five seasons. Yeah. Like, right? Great three-point shooter, a little weak on defense, seemed to not have a winning mentality. What do you attribute the winning mentality to? Like the change in his confidence? Um, 
probably guys around in the culture. I mean, having a real coach. I, I know he loved. He said he loved Ryan Saunders, but I mean, it makes a difference when you have a real coach that kind of knows what he's doing. Then you bring Pat Bevan, who's you know a whole different animal. I think it's just getting the right guys in the in the locker room that kind of can change the guy's career around a little bit. Yeah, you put like Pat Bev and Anthony Edwards around him, and it, he kind of he kind of sounded like them when he was like going off with, at the uh, the uh, um, the trophy ceremony after the three point contest. He's like, "I'm one of the best three point shooters of all time, and I needed to do this tonight <laughs> to prove it to you that that was me." I mean, yeah. he, he kind of had that like that like Pat Bev in your face, that ant swagger to him that I haven't seen in his career. And so you're right, yeah. a coach that is pu- putting him in a position to succeed and like pushing the right buttons and actually knows how to coach, I think is in addition to the guys around him is a big reason. So let's talk about Finch for a minute um, in terms of where we are. So he takes over that seven and 24 last place in the league team last year. We finished the year nearly, was it 500 in our last 25 games or so? Yes. Around there. Yep. So um, Finch, what I see is that I just think that he's a really good coach for this roster. I was I was um, looking at the number of games played on Basketball Reference, and the in the first column, right next to that, so it's their name and then it's the it's their age, and I and I I, psych, I, I sorted it by um, games played, and then like it was all these twos. So the age of our rotation players are 25, 21, 22, 22. 26, 27, Tori and Prince, 25, 22, 25, and then 33, Pat Bev. Okay? Yep. Lakers rotation. I, just, <laughs> I, I needed to do a juxtaposition, right? 45, 67. <laughs> Close. But, <laughs> I mean, they got a couple of guys that are younger. Uh, that yeah, Austin yeah. Reeves kid from Oklahoma is the real deal. Yeah, AR, AR-15. Yeah. He's- Given AK forty seven a run for best nickname ever, um, but and Malik Monk of course too. So those two guys are the outliers at twenty three. Other than that, thirty three, thirty seven, thirty one, uh, thirty six, thirty four, and twenty eight. So you know, you think about Finch. Where is he coached? Europe, the G League. He's been on NBA benches for ten years, and so he's just he's been around for most of his career, in particularly in the G League. And you know, as an NBA assistant coach, like a lot of that's about player development. He just, he, I think, and I don't want to say he's a Tibbs in the sense that, like, he's a culture changer for one year. But I think he's really good. Don't bring that name up here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm going to bring him up again in a minute. But my point is, I think, like, given, like, even though I know, like, you know, a guy like Towns can be 25, 26 and be in the league for seven and eight years or eight years, they're still young men. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a couple of rookie, you know, Vando and, and, um, Jaden McDaniels and Ant and there's a lot of young guys in this roster that are playing heavy minutes and he's handled them really well. And yeah. I mean, he's just a professional. He's brought a level of professionalism to this coaching staff and to the way that this coaching staff is molding these players and creating this culture that I've been really appreciative of. And he's just, he's a gamer, man. Yeah. No, I, I love the guy. I'll, I echo exactly what you said. I don't, want to repeat you but my only criticism of the guy is does does he know that he has a challenge to use during games like he can use one he knows that right (laughs) say some more (laughs) 
I don't lean into your refing challenge and stuff very often, but I'm going to let you have this point. No, I mean, I don't, I don't need much more, but he's just, I, I don't know if I've ever watched a game where he's used one. <laughs> There's definitely been calls that have been like, you know, you could check it out, but he's just like, no, play on. Which, I'll, you know, maybe maybe that's his thing, right? Like, challenges in themselves kind of suck because normally they don't work out for you and then they slow down the pace of the game and maybe he's all about just, if we, you know, don't slow down the pace of the game and keep it going, we're going to be fine. So let's just keep playing, boys. Don't worry about it. Next play. Yeah, Next no, play. no, that's, that's, that, that very well could be it. Like, the, how disruptive that stoppage can be to especially young players who feed so much off of energy and momentum. Like that, yeah. that, that could be a big part of his, cause there's not much that he doesn't, that he, there's not much that he does. that doesn't seem to be without calculus behind it. Yeah. Not that it always works, but like, there's always thought behind it. And, you know, I was, it, and I think we're going to see, like, we're still in the honeymoon phase with him. If we make <laughs> it to the playoffs, which I think would be, um, you know, a big step for this franchise, you know, at some point you're going to kind of see like even Sean McVay who's been in two of the last three Super Bowls and on the NFL side of things, like there's a lot of warts that you could pick at in terms of his coaching performance in the Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, the guy has got a ring and he's been in two Super Bowls in three years. So my point is like, I think when Finch, you know, when he gets, hopefully this team makes the playoffs, not just the play in tournament. And we get into a seven game series. I think then we're really going to see like who he is as a coach. Um, Because everything I've seen so far in terms of player development, culture development, in-game coaching, for the most part, um, kind of, and then letting guys kind of ride the hot hand offensively and defensively, he's kind of got the good, this is, this was going to be my point about former coaches. And I was thinking about our good old friend, Tom Thibodeau and Ryan (laughs) Saunders. And what do I, what did I like about Tom Thibodeau? He's a professional. He's a direct communicator. He's no nonsense. He really understands the game of basketball. You could say all those things about Finch, couldn't you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. What did you like about Saunders? He was a player's coach. He was a culture builder. And I guess you could say that he was a he was a hometown kid. But really, like he was all about culture and about leaning into the players. And you can also say that about Finch. Yep. And so in some ways, like, like he's kind of, I think, embodying the best of both worlds. And again, like we're above 500 and we're all getting happy that we're in the mix for the playoffs. And so we're going to shower praise on him. And, and there'll be a moment when I think we have an opportunity to criticize, but at this point I I've got nothing but accolades to talk about when I, when I hear the name Chris Finch and I, and there was a headline to an article in the athletic on Monday, Isaac, and it said this, you know, it said coach Finch quote, the more I win, the more I want to win unquote. Yeah. So <laughs> This guy's hungry. I mean, all yeah. all those years, you know, in Europe, in the G League, and on NBA benches, like, I think, like, this is a guy that's really getting into the spotlight for the first time, and he knows, he knows what that light means. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm excited to, oh, I, maybe I shouldn't get my hopes up, you know. I feel like they're going to make the playoffs, but it's the Timberwolves, right? You mean let's, let's talk let's talk about those over unders, huh? Okay, let's move to those over unders. Um, yeah. So at the beginning of the year, Vegas had us at thirty four and a half. Um, last year, of course, um, we finished. Uh, last year we were forty one and or sorry, sixteen and twenty five. Under Finch. 
Under Finch, yeah. All right, so Isaac, last year um, we were 16 and 25 under Finch. Um, of course, we had a little uptick at the, at the end of the year. And so that 34 and 5, 34 and a half number, I just kind of came in and I came under soft, but I just didn't really have reason to believe. Like I thought we were going <laughs> to get like into the mid 30s. And I yeah. thought it could go either way, really. I did not, it, I really truly did not expect us to be this high in playoff contention this deep into the year. You, however, took the over, which we seem I, projected to hit maybe within the next week or two. Right. Yeah. I mean, I did take the over, but I thought it was going to be a bit of a stretch. Like I thought it was going to come down to the last few games of the year that we would maybe hit that over. But I had no way, no way thought that it was going to be this kind of situation. And like, why would you think any differently when, you know, we've had history of the wolves being the way the wolves are. So, you know, hitting the under in any other year, that's not this year is like a lock win. So, I mean, if, if you were playing with the odds there, you, you made the right call, but. Well, to be fair, Isaac, I did this as much because you seemed a little bit like you pushed the over. So I gave it to you and we're on a podcast, <laughs> a two man podcast. I do have two personal bets with friends of mine where I took the over and I'm in a good position to um, be getting some little cash and maybe some prime rib this summer. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, nice. I, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to end on this with the Timberwolves and then we'll move to our next segment as a fan with a team that has outperformed expectations. What, what are you most looking forward to um, over the next two months? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really just that. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing how these players compete for this playoff spot. Because, I mean, we've got teams behind us that are going to try to take it from us. And we don't have any of this, any, uh, any experience where we've been in this spot where it's like we're trying to move up the rankings, you know, and better ourselves in the playoffs, or we're just trying to fight to stay in. Like, normally at this point, it's almost a lost cause. So just the fact that we're actually fighting an entire season, I want to see how, especially the players that have been there doing it. So not so much Ant, honestly, but to see how Cat responds, see how D'Lo responds, and just to see, like, do they have what it takes to really lead this team and lead us into the playoffs and just to see what that looks like. I mean, it's all, it's all a new experience, even for us, so... Yeah, and I really hope that, Isaac, we can stay healthy because of the 59 games that we've played so far, Bando has played 54, Towns 52, Edwards 53, McDaniels 56, Beasley 59, Nas 56, and then Russell and Beverly at 45 and 40. But we've had a string in a COVID season um, that we, we've get, the players have been on the court you know, together for a long time. And I think that as much as, as the other dynamics we already talked about um, have contributed to this team's success. And I think, you know, an injury we could withstand for, for a bit. But I just, after last year, where it was just one after another, I really hope that an injury doesn't undo the momentum that we built going into the second half of this year. And speaking of momentum, I wonder if our good old friends, the Minnesota Vikings, have some of that now with the hires of Kwesi Odofo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell. And that's something, Isaac, that we're going to talk about right when we come back from break. All 
Okay, and we're back from break. And Isaac, do we have momentum on the football side of things in town with the hirings of Quesi Adolfo Mensa as the general manager for the Minnesota Vikings and your head coach, Kevin O'Connell? Kevin. I mean, we got the Super Bowl winner coming in. I don't know what he did exactly, but, you know, he was part of it, right? I love it. I feel I yeah, we've definitely got momentum. We got we got some new blood in there with Quasey. Um but no, it's you know, we got the new like GM approach coming with you know, Spielman was kind of the more like scouting focused GM. Or that's how he like came up to the system and Cam's more of the just a different angle. Like they they kind of give him the whole analytics side is how they say he came up, but even uh, asking him what analytics means to him seems kind of different than what you would think analytics means. So he just seems like he seems like quite the uh, quite the leader already, which is pretty impressive at his age. I mean, he's like what forty forty one, but no, he, he should be interesting. I mean, his his kind of upbringing was he's a super smart guy. I mean, he went to uh, Princeton for his undergrad and then um, later went to Harvard for his masters. So this guy's like on a whole new level. Um, and then before even working in the NFL, he worked on wall street. So talk about a background. Holy cow. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know exactly what the wills were going for on this one, but it's definitely going to be a different approach, different vibe. Um, it seems like he's kind of going to really be driven around what he considers analytics and collaboration. Um, and just kind of building off of this culture that, is already pretty good, honestly, in Minnesota. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he does. He's he's really young to the to the whole deal. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles the big big decisions. But um, yeah. yeah, go for it. Yeah, like you, you're you know he said he's been a fan of football since he was three years old, but he didn't move to the NFL until 2011, which was 11 years ago. Yeah. And and you made the point. He worked as a commodities trader, so a day trader on Wall Street, and now he's in the NFL. Like, and he, he, what was he? Uh, they called it in the NFL. They don't call it analytics. R and D for the 49ers yeah. and Browns. Research and development. So yeah. he, he's, a, he's a numbers guy, right? Yeah. So you're a commodities trader on Wall Street. What's your What's your goal day to day? Sell high, buy low. Yeah. So how does a mediocre $45 million quarterback fit into that? <laughs> well, you probably got to sell high, right? <laughs> Especially after the guy just went to the Pro Bowl. Like, his stock's mm-hmm. never been higher, right? What a no, game. Probably. Man, what a game that was. I just I was on the edge of my seat the whole afternoon <laughs> for the 18 seconds I had it on. <laughs> Pro Bowl? Right. Hey, 18 seconds is better than the uh, no time I gave to it. So I just watched it, good. and like the the four pass rushers like stood up and like like moved a foot. <laughs> and I'm like, there was a time when like they they did try in the Pro Bowl, and I understand why they don't, and how dangerous football is, and I get all that, but just don't have the game. Like just like name your your Pro Bowl team, and then oh, here's Sam's idea. Um. Your, our friend Sam Vetch. Yeah. He's like, have the two worst teams rather than a Pro Bowl. So name your Pro Bowl, like, and have all the accolades of being a Pro Bowler, but skip the game, 
the week between the championship games and the Super Bowl, you take the two worst teams that tanked. The winner of that game gets the number one pick. <laughs> that would be way more entertaining for sure. Um, yeah, I like that. I okay. like that a lot. All right, shout out to Sam. Yeah, I shout out Sam. Good call. Um, so, but 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 real story though. Like, there's no way this kind of guy would have signed Con Kirk to that kind of like contract. Like, there's just I can't see it happening. Yeah, it doesn't make sense feasibly at all. But also, like, I mean, do you think he's really going to get rid of him? I don't think he can, Isaac. I mean, unless we pay a team ten, probably closer to twenty million. Like, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. Does Kirk Cousins at twenty five million sound appealing to you? You know, twenty five million maybe. Yeah, you got a bunch of playmakers on offense. You know, you've got a great head coach. You're, um, you've got a great <laughs> head coach on your defensive staff now, Brian Flores, <laughs> right? Which I'd like to talk about at some point. And <laughs> like, so if you can get a guy that can throw the ball and it's not a noodle arm anymore, like Roethlisberger was, you know, like. But that's would the Vikings assume a twenty million dollar cap hit to get rid of him, and then what would you bring him in his what would you bring in in his spot like that's maybe that where you can still save money right like yeah. that twenty five million that you're not spending, what would you have to pay to get a guy that can at least be a competent n f l quarterback and I don't know what that price I don't know where that happens well, I mean. Okay, so here's the story. That's the biggest part about this franchise that he's going to have to, from a personnel standpoint, immediately address, is that the Spielman regime tried to fix the defensive side of the ball last year when four years ago he signed a quarterback to $33 million at the, whatever it was at the time, and now it's up to forty-five. and he brought yep. in um, Xavier Woods and Nick Vigil and Patrick Peterson and Pierce and Tomlinson and a lot of guys that, you know, might've hit maybe wouldn't as free agents, but you're hoping some of them do, but they, like our defense was towards the bottom of the NFL last year. So yeah. I still like, I, I kind of push back against Vikings nation in the sense that we needed to have a uh, offensive minded head coach, which is what we hired. Um, I mean, why, why though? I mean, just because just our defense is bad doesn't mean hiring a defensive head coach is going to fix that. You can still bring in a, in a guy that, like a an offensive-minded coach that brings in a defensive guy that strictly focus straight on the defense to try and fix that problem and just let that guy only focus on that, which kind of seems to be what's going to happen. Well, we'll see. We'll see who, you know. So, so Kwesi brings in Kevin O'Connell, the... Offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, hot off of a Super Bowl victory. Um, an offensive coordinator, of course, who did not call plays for that team. <laughs> which he deferred to his head coach, Sean McVay. So, like, yep. I think the, the, the case against McConnell is this. And I, I know you've got a case for him. Um, he's one side of the ball coach, just like Zimmer was. So all he knows yep. is offense. He played quarterback as a journeyman. NFL quarterback from 2008 to 2012, number of different teams, quarterbacks coach for the Browns and Redskins in the mid 2010s, where, by the way, he met Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, all three of yep. the, and, and um, who am I missing? Uh, Matt LaFleur were on that coaching staff in 2013, which is crazy. 
Yeah, in Washington, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know his he did so he didn't call the plays in Los Angeles, but in 2019, under O'Connell's first full year in control of Washington's offense, the team finished three and thirteen and ranked last in scoring offense and 31st in total offense. Now, like I get it, you can point probably most of that to the personnel and the general dysfunction amongst the WFT slash commanders. <laughs> so the big question is going to be, you know, a one-sided coach, the way Zimmer was, never could figure out the offensive coordinator position. I'm not saying oh. he can't just because Zimmer didn't. But yeah. that, but mean, those we, are my worries about him. He didn't call the plays under McVay. He didn't do well when he did have the chance in Washington. And yeah, I think that that's all legit. I mean, he, so we do have, we do have a d- defensive guy already. Um, I'll talk about him in a second. But um, that the part on O'Connell, which I mean, is kind of the part you got to put all your money on. Hopefully, is the fact that he's been able to hang out with McVay for how long he has. Um, that's kind of, I mean, McVay's the golden boy in coaching when it comes to the NFL. So, and he's got a Super Bowl at the age of 36. So, I mean, the the guy's impressive. Um, he's got, he's got quite the coaching tree too. Um, I mean, O'Connell's the fourth coach to come from McVay's coaching tree in the five years he's been in the NFL. So, um, do you know the other ones? You already said two of them, I believe, or one of them. Uh, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, Brandon Staley. Yep, yep. And uh, how many of those guys were in the playoffs this last year? Well, three of the four, Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, and Matt LaFleur were three of the four coaches alongside Bruce Arians, the young, <laughs> the young buck. The young buck Bruce. Yeah, that, that uh, uh, were in the, the conference championship games. Right, yep. So Zach Taylor um, used, to, used to be the OC under McVay. And interestingly enough, so I was worried about hiring a coach that hadn't been calling plays for the last couple of years for their team. I was like, why would we do that? That seems like a red flag. Like, why would we want someone who's, you know, been doing it, proven that he can run an offense, proven that he can make calls under pressure, that sort of stuff. But then I found out also that Zach Taylor, the head coach for the Bengals, was the same exact way. Mm-hmm. He didn't call plays under McVay. So he just sat back and watched and helped with the offense as well. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying O'Connell is Zach Taylor. I'm not saying O'Connell is McVay. But the idea there of that kind of like lineage of these other really great coaches that came out from McVay and just McVay in general, like I can see the hire. You know, whether it's gonna be successful, who knows? Um I mean, I heard Stafford talk about O'Connell, and I don't think Stafford would, would uh, you know, kind of rag on O'Connell. But um, funny enough, O'Connell was actually the backup quarterback to Stafford in Detroit at one point. <laughs> and uh, Stafford made the comment that O'Connell's a much better coach than he is a player. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's that's at least something, right? So hopefully we're getting something good there. Um, it, it seems like the players speak super highly of him, of his attitude, his communication skills, his ability to relate to them. Um, I feel like, and I guess, you know, I wasn't in the locker room, right? But I feel like the relatable piece is the one Zimmer probably missed out on a lot. Like, it didn't seem like he related with 
the guys of like the newer generation of football players. Like maybe he got, you know, he knew his Terrence Newman's and, you know, his older guys, but it didn't seem like he, you know, even just, you know, the the rookies that had to sit back and watch and didn't get to play under Zimmer. You know, I I don't feel like that's going to be a problem under O'Connell. I feel like it's going to be a, if you're the best player for this position, you're going to play. But again, you know, we gotta, we gotta see it play out. Um, but I, I, I like it. I mean, it's it's definitely a gamble, um, especially with other coaching options out there, like you know Flores, for instance, that you mentioned. But that'll be another conversation for another day. Um, but the defensive side, so they actually did hire someone. Uh, his name's Ed Donatell, and he was a defensive coordinator actually last year for uh, the Broncos. Um, and this is a guy with a wealth of coaching experience. I mean, he's been in the NFL coaching for 31 years. So, I mean, you got a young guy like O'Connell, who's only 36, fresh to head coaching, and then you bring in on the other side of the ball, basically, I mean, basically hit another Mike Zimmer. Well, and he's just going to focus on defense, though. Let's not go to like Mike, because Mike Zimmer was leading some of the top defenses in Cincinnati before we hired him. Yeah, well, Donatel was pretty good. I mean, last year alone, Denver, uh, they were third in points allowed. Third. When their offense was not good. Um, they were top eight in pass yards allowed, top eight in opponent police percentage, and top eight in passing touchdowns allowed. Great passing defense. Phenomenal. Um, also tied for first in rushing touchdowns allowed. So... Their defense was solid, and this was all with their like they didn't they didn't cause many turnovers. Pretty middle of the pack in turnovers, pretty middle of the pack in sacks. So to me, that's pretty impressive that you can you can have a defense that that's that's you know like that effective, while not creating a lot of turnovers or sacks, while not having a great offense that's going to keep you know the defense rested and off the field. So we'll see if he can. Uh, if he could turn on the defense here for the Vikings, but he's definitely like he's he's brought in to to be the wise man, you know, on the coaching staff, and to really focus on that defense and make it his own. Well, Zimmer was really focusing on that defense, and it didn't make a lick of difference the last few years. Was he though? I was mean, he though? I mean, as a Aaron Rodgers, can you really? Aaron Rodgers even spoke to it this last season schematically, like the things that he was seeing against the Vikings defense pre-snap. Like he said, it was as advanced as any team in the NFL. Our problem was execution and execution is about guys that are on the field. So, you know, we'll see, like, um, you know, I get it. Zimmer didn't, he was not connecting with the players, especially the younger ones. He wasn't talking to the GM for several months. That's a problem. I'm hoping that he's on his ranch outside of Cincinnati and connecting with his horses so he can like get back that fire in his belly about what it means to be alive. Because, yeah. you know, being an NFL coach for eight years can really suck the life out of you. And there's a lot of pressure in that job. And I think it did get to him towards the end where he wasn't the same guy that he was when he came in, you know, um, eight seasons ago. But I, I, I got to see it. Like, you know, the thing yeah. is, Kevin, Kevin, Mc, Kevin O'Connell, I wanted to call him Kevin McConnell. <laughs> which I like to do is mix up um, names on this podcast. But I mean, Brad Childress was Andy Reed's offensive coordinator for four years in Philadelphia before he came to the Minnesota Vikings. And 
you know, an Eagles team that had made four consecutive NFC championship games and was a regular offensive juggernaut. Yeah. And Childress didn't do shit with the Vikings. So let's just hope. Was it, that... Wasn't Chile with us when we had good old Brett Favre? I don't know. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we had with Adrian Peterson, Brett Favre, and Percy Harvin. Like, it's kind of hard to mess that up. Does Does Andy Reid have a coaching, like, tree, though? Did, did he produce a lot of solid head coaches? Somewhat. Has he produced? We'll see. We'll, like, I, I get it. Like, Sean McVay's hot right now. And we've got, you know, LaFleur, who's won 13 games in three straight seasons. And Zach Taylor, who made a surprising run to the Super Bowl. And Brandon Staley, who um, goes forward on fourth down at his own <laughs> 29. But, you know, we'll see. Like, I just, I, I, I do like this fresh blood into the coaching game. And it's really, it's really kind of fascinating that, like, Maybe Sean McVay is um, this generation's Bill Walsh. Like a guy that just yeah. understands the game differently, that connects differently with the players, that connects differently with the coaches. It was interesting because um, was it uh, – I can't remember the quote, but back when um, Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan were interviewing – um, Sean McVay for a job on the Washington Redskins football staff back in the early 2010s. Um, I think it was LaFleur that said, just like, that's a guy. That After that interview, he, he he spoke to Kyle and they were just like, that's a guy. That's just a guy, right? And so maybe. And the part about like Kwesi Adolfo Mensa that I like is that with that economics background, like I think there's another guy in the NFL that also has an economics degree who's been a head coach for some time. Do you know who it is? Uh, no, no he, idea. Okay, he has six Super Bowl rings and he's still coaching. Bell? Yeah, so Bill is also an econ major. I don't know if it was at Princeton and Harvard, but the <laughs> point is, is that like what has Bill always been in terms of roster creation as the GM? He's been really shrewd, right? Yeah. I mean, get the most out of the out of the little guys. And like when guys are kind of coming to the end of their peaks, like he's been kind of ruthless in the sense of like they go to the free agent guillotine. Like he cuts them. Yeah. And I mean, outside of Brady, of course. Um, and so I think that we're going to see a lot of roster turnover pretty quickly oh. because we have a lot of contracts on a lot of veterans, especially on defense. We're going to have some decisions to make on the offensive side of the ball with our playmakers. Like, do you pay our running back? What is Jefferson going to get? Um, you know, you got Herb Smith coming back and a tight end that produced last year. There's just like I, 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 his his Wall Street perspective and like crunching the numbers. And I don't think he's like a purely analytics guy, but I think we're going to like buckle up. Yeah. Buckle up. And and it I, I do I do wonder. This is like what I was thinking about tonight. I was I was um um well not while, but maybe before or after I was reading my kids' books. Um <laughs> but I thought to myself, like, what does this remind me of? And I'm like, okay, so you got Quissy, you got Kevin O'Connell. It reminds me a little bit of Falvey Levine Baldelli. And like you bring in like your analytics GM and GM assistant. And then they bring in their guy, like a younger guy that like really like looks at the numbers and like is about the modern game. And 
there's been lots of ups and downs. I mean, we had the the, the Bomba Squad twins that won a record number of games in 2019, right? And then last year we had a team that was tremendously disappointing. Yeah. So and and like that happens with teams all the time, but the quickness and the rapidity with which we went from like winning the division to being out of the division by June. So I just I wonder like that kind of up and down sense of Wall Street because you're responding so much to what the numbers tell you that day, that week, that month, that quarter. I hope Odofo Mensa has a little bit more of a steadying hand. And and so the other part of Wall Street is that you've got a stock and it drops, right? And you know you it's going to rebound, so you see it through. So we're going to see. We're going to see which side of like this analytics game he's going to play, the long game or the short game. Um I'm excited. I it's it's it is new blood and you know, in the end I was not a big fan of letting go of a regime that had had as much relative success as Spielman and, and Zimmer did. But, you know, um, the Twins haven't been unsuccessful with Valvi, Levine, and Valdelli. Last year yeah. was painful, and we'll see. I think this that team could also bounce back, <clears throat> provided we have any semblance of pitching. <laughs> so, okay, fine, yeah, good luck. final thoughts on the Vikings hires and, like, where this could lead before we jump off tonight here, Isaac. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's it's a new direction, so it's cool. I, I'd like to see where it goes. Um, I like the idea that there's going to be a lot more collaboration. I, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to be just Quasi just making all of the decisions himself. It's going to be who are the people around me. Like, make sure you tell me what's on your mind. I'm gonna. I, I want to know every angle of what we're looking at, and then he's going to make decisions off that, which is kind of a cool idea. And maybe they've always done it that way, but just to have him like actually explain it to us that way. Uh, it was cool. So it seems like a much more team-focused um, path than maybe what we're used to with the older guys. Um, but I personally like the idea of leaning more into the offense. I mean, maybe there's going to be a lot of roster turnover, but say we we hold the roster the way we are, like with an offensive head coach, we're just like we're leaning more into our strength with all of our our talent on offense. So just to see what kind of maybe that could come to as well. You know, like if you look at those young coaches and the the systems that they're running and, you know, part of it's personnel too, but a guy like Zach Taylor, like you did not expect, um, you know, Joe Burr and, and Chase and, and, and those guys to be there in year two. You just didn't. Yeah. So, right. so that was, that was fun. To, I mean, that was, that was fun to see. So let's hope, let's hope in year two of, Kevin O'Connell, which would be the 2023 20, um, season, yeah. the Vikings are in similar position. Uh, what, you know, before the um, draft that are the, that's coming up in April, just what are like, finish off the podcast with this. What are like one or two big needs? I mean, obviously the big thing is Kirk and his contract and like, do we keep him? Do we not? But outside of that, what would you like to see this Vikings team do? Yeah, probably defense. I mean, cornerback depth, um, linebacker depth. It seems like, I didn't mention this before, but it seems like Donatel wants to run a 3-4 defense. So maybe to get some more depth on the linebackers. Um, I mean, outside of that, if 
if you know if we can bolster our offensive line, but I don't know if we want to do that through the draft or if that's just a matter of consistency at this point. You know, bring back the same guys and have them continue to get better, hopefully. But I'd say defense, defense, defense. Get some more talent back on the defensive side of the ball. Defense, 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 and we hire an offensive coach. Well, with that, Isaac, I'm going to have you uh, take us out tonight. So take us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, stay warm out there, really. it's uh, Winter's brutal. But uh, also, as always, stay safe out there.